I'm going to spend the next two weeks talking about leadership. Um, today I'm going to spend some time um, talking about biblical government, and then uh, next week some about qualifications of what leaders should be, or who they should be as people. Um, part of that is, as I transition away from lead pastor here, um, there's a certain amount of cleanup that needs to take place. Um, you ever have an unfinished project? Um, there are some of those here um, that in some ways uh, are paper, so to speak, or are what's written about how we function needs to catch up with who we are. And uh, so we've been trying to sort some of that out. By we, I mean like the elders and, and, and uh, such that we, uh, we function different than what's on paper at this point. And part of that was when I came here, there were some drastic changes that took place. Um, it was largely an older congregation that had been together for close to 40 years. And they had their system, and what I brought was significantly different. And in the initial period, people were kind of in and out of the door like flies, but the church was growing, and I didn't really know who was new and who wasn't. It would sting a lot more now if that kind of thing was taking place because I didn't have the, the depth of relationship that others did. But we had a core of people that hung with us that um, we linked together in prayer, we linked together in leadership. And then we had this fabulous um, influx of college students where I sat down one day and I I actually figured out the percentages, and 85% of our congregation were college kids. And so in that moment, we're realizing our system on paper doesn't work for who we are. And so in some ways, we became elder-driven as a group. And um, in a sense, the way we have viewed things in recent years is like, I am one of the elders, but I'm like the lead elder. So I kind of give, I, I in a sense, set direction with the elder group, but the elders, in a sense, have made the calls regarding the church for a lot of years. And we've tried to function together in unity. Um, sometimes it's been very difficult, but we generally have not made any kind of significant decision without a harmony with each other. And um, sometimes that takes button heads for a number of months to, to get to a place, but we, we felt it was more important than just running over people or just forcing our way in things. And it's been a very beautiful thing to participate. But all that said, as we get ready to transition, some of this needs to be cleaned up, and so that we're in that process, so to speak. So I want to set like a biblical base of what we've pulled out and why we kind of taken our approach. I want to start with uh, the person of Moses who was called to take the children of Israel out of Egypt, in a sense, weld a religious nation, okay? 
So there was, um, it's not the same as a church, but it's, it was a similar society, so to speak, uh, closest of what we have, in a sense, in our roots. And what the New Testament would draw on when they're trying to figure out how to do things. So that said, Moses receives this call. You remember the burning bush, right? And God talks to him and says, you're the one. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses going, I don't know about this. And God just says, no, you're the one. And so he tells him, I want you to go to the elders of Israel. So that indicates that there, was all, there were already some structures in place. And he went to the leadership of that group and began to say, God has called us out of here. God is instructing me to help lead this group out. And uh, they respond to him, and they, they agree to that. And then, as you know, they get out of Egypt. One of the intriguing things to me is that not too far into the process, God speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to gather 70 elders of the community. I want you to bring them to the tent of meeting. And I want to take from the spirit that's on you and I want to place it on them. In other words, he says, I want them to help you carry this load. And it's amazing how it takes place. So you have a wedding, so to speak, of, and I wrestled with terms here, uh, people that are leading maybe in a natural sense, or you know, they've, they've risen to the top for whatever reason. If a family leader or a community, I, I don't know exactly how that worked. But they're in that place, and God's saying, but this is also a spiritual position. You know, this is also something that my spirit is going to be involved in. So it appears that they had natural ability and wisdom, but also there's a a, a placing of God's empowerment in that moment upon their lives. Some people feel that this was the beginning of the Sanhedrin. Uh, during Jesus' day, there was a group of 71 that met, and, and it wasn't particularly religious in that day. And, and, you know, there was a lot missing of the Spirit, so to speak. But it is possible that there was kind of built off of this idea of the 70 leaders even carrying on all those years after that. So that said, just I want you to note that there's a, a welding, so to speak, of, of this prophetic leader in Moses with, the, with leaders within the community, and that it is a spirit-driven group with, or with God's stamp on it, right? Let's bring in another layer, because during that same season, the Levitic priesthood is established. And so you have many, many priests carrying out the actual worship unto the Lord. And so you've got Moses kind of giving overall insight. You've got the elders working with the community. And then you have this priesthood who are kind of carrying through the worship unto the Lord. So again, it's, 
it's multi-layered. It's not one individual. It's not just one form, but there are different structures that are interconnecting. Um, that said, um, it's, it's intriguing how it doesn't go long that way, and there are some real challenges in regard to authority and structure. The first is that we know, just like is with Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister. Now, Miriam had been the one that had taken care of baby Moses and was used wonderfully for the saving of his life. You know, the older sister. And Aaron is the one who Moses, when he's going, I don't do well in public speaking. And God said, well, I've got Aaron right there for you. He's great at it. And, and we don't know how often Aaron was actually, you know, conveying the message that Moses brought. It, it just doesn't say. But it appears that these three were working together. I mean, Miriam's the one that leads the group in worship when they, after they've crossed the Red Sea, right? But at one moment, Miriam and Aaron are kind of going, who does Moses think he is? What? Who called him God? You know, it, it, the, the impression you get is that uh, little brother just, you know, he's taking way too much on himself. And there's a showdown that God calls. He brings him in. He very specifically says, Moses is the one. And, and they acknowledge it. And there's just an awareness that even though they're all being used by God, even though they all have incredible gifts, God is still leaving a structure in place that uh, he wants kept. A little later in this same journey, you have another significant run-in with a, a guy named Korah, who's one of the Levites. So he's been brought into leadership, and then uh, Dathan and Abiram, which also says that they were community leaders. And then you have them gathering 250 other leaders, community people, and they're going, Moses, uh, you have no right to do what you're doing and say what you're saying because all of us are holy. You know, they've captured that idea that they're the community of God. They've captured that God works in all of them. And they're understanding that, you know, that each of us has opportunity to, to know God, so to speak. Which is a beautiful understanding, right? And yet, God very thoroughly establishes again, no, I've still set this structure in place. And he, he establishes Moses. You know, the story goes that, that the earth opens up and swallows the others. So there's, there's no question. You know, of, of Moses going, yeah, God spoke to me, and yeah, you, 
you don't have it right. No, this, there was a physical, visual understanding that uh, Moses was in charge. So that said, um, there's always challenges within a holy community. And there's a question of why have leaders at all? Except that it appears that God says, this is the way I want it. I'll, I'll get into the New Testament in just a bit, but just trying to set this in place. Uh, one of the positive stories is the story of David when Saul, who is the king, is chasing him and trying to kill him. And David is... Um, David has already been anointed that he will be the next king. It, it doesn't really help having a corrupt predecessor and trying to just be patient when the guy's trying to kill you. And David eventually gets in a position where he has a chance to slay Saul, and he chooses not to. And then when he's confronting Saul, he says... May the Lord keep me far away from doing such a thing to my Lord. In other words, killing you. Who is the Lord's chosen by extending my hand against him. After all, he is the Lord's chosen one. And David's going, I know that God placed that mantle on you. I know that you're not treating me the way that you should. But in this moment, I refuse to strike you because... I know that there's something over that. Pretty incredible. You know, that he just said, I'll have to trust God in this one. You know, if God's declared that I'm going to be a king, then he'll have to establish it, but I am not going to force this issue. So that's, uh, okay, that's kind of just, in a sense, saying there is a spiritual sense of authority structure, even in the Old Testament. Um, there's a few other layers in this. Um, at the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses is getting ready to die, he says, make sure that you establish judges in the land. I mean, they've already got elders, they've got priests, they've got, you know, and he says, make sure you establish judges as well, and civic leaders. So there's different roles to be played. And then later on, he, reckon, you know, he, he says, there's going to be prophets coming along as well, and you'll need to listen to them too. Uh, so that said, when Joshua is reestablishing the covenant, he, he draws together rulers, leaders, judges, Levitical priests, you know, all these layers, and they end up worshiping the Lord together and reestablishing their covenant and at the end of his life, when he's reviewing things, again, he summons all, it says, the elders, rulers, judges, and leaders. So they have these systems going on, all functioning together, even though they have their different roles. Um, just a couple more Old Testament notes. When David is getting ready to... Um, hand off the kingdom to, to Solomon, uh, there's a statement made about how the, all the priests that he set in place for worship. There's 38,000 Levites at that point that are participating in the priesthood. And he establishes 24 divisions so that it's sorted out, you know, that 
different seasons that each group will take charge of stuff. Um, there's a weird tag, and I'll just throw it in. In eternity, there's a picture given of heaven with the 24 elders around the throne. It's possible that there's just a, like, almost like a pre-knowledge of what God's going to do, even in eternity. There's some layers to things. I don't know. It's just, it's a rabbit trail, and I thought it was interesting. <laughs> so, so I mentioned it. Um, when, when David is, is seeing Solomon put in place, um, he summons the priesthood with Zadok, and he anoints Solomon. He also summons Nathan the prophet to make a declaration. So again, there's some of these systems being brought together. you got prophet, priest, and king. All different roles, but significant in the Lord. At that same time, Solomon puts in charge commanders of thousands and hundreds, and then he has other heads of families and judges, so many, many layers. That's all I'm trying to get across. Okay. In the New Testament, Jesus makes this statement. He's asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, you're the Messiah. You know, the Christ. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And I believe what he's saying is, on this understanding that the Messiah, who is what? The Messiah is the chosen leader that's been prophesied for centuries, that he will set the kingdom of God in order like it's supposed to be. And so when Peter says, you're that one, there's an understanding of government that is at some point to be established in a way that's only been dreamed about to now. And what we look toward even in eternity is everything being put in place in a divine government where things truly function the way that they're supposed to, even better than our own country. Trust me on this one. Anyway, so you have Jesus making this statement. In fact, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying there is coming an, an application of this that you don't know about even yet, you know, that you have, that has not been revealed at this level before. You know, that you had that hint of the Spirit being given on the elders, but then you have also, he says, in my church, there, there's going to be more significant demonstration of the kingdom of God than what has been revealed to this point. And so when Jesus is, is making this declaration, he's also saying that my system of government to be played out in religious community is the church. I had someone come to me just this last week, and they had made the comment, they said, and they had been out of church for a while, and wrestling with that whole thing. And he said, 
I, I know the church is important. And I thought, you know, I don't like seeing you gone. I don't like seeing you doing, you know, other things. But the fact that you came back to this conclusion, I am thrilled with. Because it's establishing in his life that he knows what God has ordained and orchestrated. And that, quite honestly, walked through my own self when I was his age. You know, it was just, you're wrestling. Does it have value? You see imperfectness around you and you're going, why bother? Except that it's God's vessel and his way of doing things. Is it ever perfect? Well, I haven't seen it yet, but still have hope. <laughs> and have this expectation that we can continue to develop on earth what God really wants and will demonstrate through eternity. Okay. Well, Jesus had numerous interactions with religious structures, but it generally wasn't good, right? The Sanhedrins and the elders and the, the priests and all, all of that, it, there was religious structure in place, but it, it, it didn't recognize Messiah when he was right there with them. But moving on into the New Testament, you have, um, you have some declarations made. Paul, uh, let's see, get this right. In Acts chapter 15, the church, you know, had been expanding and going out. And I want to pick this up here because they, they run into a snag. There are a lot of people coming to Christ that don't know the rules. They don't know, they don't know religious community very well. In fact, they seem to do everything wrong, and yet God has saved them. And the group is just going, what is going on? They haven't followed any of the rules, and yet God somehow has poured his spirit out on them. It just doesn't seem right. What are we going to do about this? And so they, they gather together, and it says, they gather together the apostles, they gather together the elders, they have Paul, who's, who's been out doing the missionary work, and they get together and they have this conflab where they're discussing and trying to, they're praying and they say, God, what do you want? But they, it, it appears, you know, they've already, they have some structures, but they're, they're saying, we need to make a decision here. And, and finally, they get to the place where they say, well, leave them alone, you know, it, It'd be good not to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, or drink blood. <laughs> That's a tough one. And, and uh, yeah, refrain from sexual immorality. You know, <laughs> two rules. It, it, you know, for the Jewish lifestyle to be able to say that, it had to be an act of God. But they just said, you know, we realize that they're coming into something that we've been in. They, and as it is lived out, there's an awareness. Every life is called to holiness. And so there are things that shed off a person after they come to Christ. And so they gave them enough room to grow. They gave them enough room to let go of some things as God spoke to their hearts. But that said, 
there are some declarations made in, that I want to continue with. In Romans 12, Paul's giving a list of spiritual gifts, and he makes a statement, if it's leadership, do it well. You know, if, if your gift is leadership, just do it well. You know, he's, he's recognizing that there, there are abilities that different ones have, but it, also that there's a spirit connection with this. In Ephesians, he also says there are some given for the leading of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He says these are all gifts given for the building up of the community. So he's saying different ones in a gathering will have gifts that are meant to help develop the group as a whole. So they're identifying some of these spiritual gifts. Paul also writes, when he's addressing Timothy, he says, you know, you're needing to appoint elders, and he starts to define who those are or what their character traits should be. And I'll get into that next week a little more. But again, we have seen apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers, and yet he's saying elders is, you know, so there's a, there's a combining of terms and layers in the New Testament as well as the Old. And then he makes some declarations uh, also. Um, he tells them, if someone aspires to that kind of thing, it's a good thing. But then he lays out, this is what needs to be a part of their lives as well. Then he goes on to a role that, that uh, is called deacons. And it's a very interesting word because it's, it carries this idea of someone who runs errands or um, wait staff. You know, it's like servants. You know, it, 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 um, it's that idea of there are certain people that are called to serve others and just kind of run errands. One of the things that we'll be bringing to you in a few weeks is this idea of teams. And we're going to use that word, a contemporary word, and just say we want to develop teams that will do different tasks and take responsibility for those. And it's kind of this idea similar to what deacons would have been in the New Testament. It's that wait staff. It's the running of errands. It's just playing that out. Um, an interesting aside, Michael and Denise came out of a group of churches that the pastor was a very dynamic leader, and it was a group that I followed when I was early entering ministry because it was such a powerful move of God among the, the hippies and, and that whole movement. Uh, the Calvary Costa Mesa churches were growing incredibly, and and uh, Chuck Smith was the man who came out of a, a more traditional Pentecostal church. And he's developing this group. And Michael will tell you, he would see who was cleaning the toilets. And he'd say, that's my next pastor. <laughs> that's the guy that's going to plant the next church. And he'd start investing in that person. He was picking out the errand runners. He was picking out the wait staff. And he's going, that's what I want. And it, it was incredible. 
And, you know, this functioning back and forth, as long as I was mentioning Michael, he and Denise, on their own right, have done a significant amount of missions work and planted churches. And my life's been very blessed as they've come into this community and functioned under my leadership. But that's not to say they don't have their own incredible giftings. When we go to Malawi, I ride his coattails. And I'm kind of just, I'm there for the ride. You know, it, it, I mean, I, I serve what he wants, but he very definitely is the one in charge when it comes, you know, when we're doing that. You know, it, it's his arena and his sphere, and it's appropriate. And just like next Saturday, you know, with Clean and I, I'll be going to Benny, Lord willing, get to participate in that and going, what do you want me to do? You know, because it's like, you're the one doing this. So it's, it's a joy to work with others when they're willing to serve, right? And so you, you submit yourself to that and say, whatever you need, it's helpful. Um, here's a blending of, of terms that Paul uses, and I have just a few more verses. I realize I'm using more slides than usual. When he's talking about elders, and he's talking to Timothy, he's going, don't neglect the gift that was given to you. Now, Timothy is like giving oversight to the group but he's saying there were elders that prayed over you and there was an anointing of a gift that came out in that prayer. So elders, like in a natural sense, gifted leaders, but also having a spiritual authority and ability in that moment. He tells Titus, go appoint elders in every town in as the church existed in that day, it was like each community had a, an expression of the church, but it wasn't different segments all over, you know, as far as identified, well, we're FCA or we're Baptist or we're Lutheran or we're Catholic. You know, it, it was one church, and he's saying, I want you to point somebody to give oversight to that. And sometimes that gets interpreted as presbyter in, in different translations, but it's this idea of a, a leader over that community. In James, there's a, a declaration he made about the elders saying, well, if somebody's sick, call the elders and ask them to come pray over you and anoint with oil. So there's an uh, attached spiritual awareness or connection that isn't just giving orders, but there's a, a spiritual gifting associated with that as well. One last passage. First Peter. Peter's um, talking about leadership, and he makes this declaration. He's an apostle, right? Thank you. Peter the Apostle says, as a fellow elder, so he's identifying with both roles, 
As a witness of Christ's sufferings, the one who shares in the glory that will be revealed, I urge you as elders among you, give a shepherd's care to God's flock. And he's taking a term that often gets translated in a slightly different form, but the same root term as pastor. So Peter the apostle, Peter the elder, Peter the pastor, he's not bothered by those things as far as, well, what term is it? But he recognizes functioning this way as a leader. So when we, <laughs> let's talk about where that hits the road. When we walk through the process of trying to give some clarity to, to how we've been functioning, when we use the term elder in this group, it's we have generally found people that were doing the job that seem to have an anointing on their life, that appear to have their family and community life together, and what we've done is acknowledged them. And we've brought them into our group to help lead. Um, early on, I had Jerry, Bill, and Kurt, two of who've passed away since that time, but we met with them and their wives on Sunday nights and prayed for a number of years. And that was a powerful time. But we would also meet on a weekly basis and discuss um, <laughs> discuss you. Now, <laughs> we would pray for individuals, and we would also seek to carry out the business of the church as well. We also had uh, guys like Charlie and Adam in that group, you know, as they were served in ministry. Um, recently, well, as we recognized change was coming, and part of that had to do with Bill's illness, you know, just saying this is not going to go on very long as it is. And Kurt was struggling with health as well. And, and we said, okay, here's, and we, we picked out like eight or ten names of people. We said, these, these people could serve in this role. And each one was to pray and say, okay, I have a name in mind that I feel like God would have me invest in. And out of that group, uh, we, had, we came up with Jeremy, Brent, and Trevor. And we had, you know, they were, they were doing the work of ministry. There was anointing on their lives. There was a, a giftedness about them. And we said, okay, well, that kind of all got muddled as we walked through the illnesses and, and, and death and such. But at the same time, then about that season, Rob and Lynn are, are investing themselves heavily in the ministry of the church. They've retired and said, we want to serve this community. And they're starting these different ministries and carrying out different functions. And we're going, okay, yeah, they're, they're doing it too. So <laughs> come on in. You know, that's, so that's how we've, we've functioned, but we recognize in transition that needs to probably have more formalization and structure. So we'll, we'll be bringing those things to you as a community in weeks ahead, and you can be aware that this is, this is the thought process. I'm trying to give you just as clear and up-to-date as I can. Um, you know, 
Is it a perfect thing? No. Is it going to be? No. But it's our best effort to present a, a form and a, a, a type that we feel fits within parameters of Scripture and allows this room to just continue to walk forward as a group. Um, if I go back and review this, I'm going to say that leadership is multi-structured. It has a tying of natural ability and spirit together. It has, um, it has enough variety in Scripture that there is no one right form written down saying, you have to function like this as a church, and this is the blueprint. It appears that God left enough room for groups to kind of figure in themselves how to make things work and, and go in him. That's at least the way I read it. <laughs> that's the teaching you've been getting. But uh, that's how we've been functioning, and that's what I anticipate us going forward in. Finding God's light and insight as to how we can walk forward, knowing that he calls different individuals to step up and carry responsibility and to help orchestrate for the good of all. And that's what we're going to participate in. So, um, hey, for God's blessing upon you, may your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover what it is with joy to walk in your spirit. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Lift it up and exalt it, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.